This portion of WGTD's morning show is going to be spent uh, getting acquainted with a gentleman by the name of Robert J. Young, who uh, undertook a really intriguing journey across America. I mean, crisscrossing America in a small plane. This is something which he decided to do at a point in time when uh, he was contending with some very painful personal and professional reversals. And at a time when his own self-confidence had been uh, quite thoroughly shattered, despite the fact that uh, he had experienced a great deal of success in his life. And then, uh, as we'll, we'll talk about, some things just sort of fall apart. And this was uh, an opportunity in his mind for him to not only see something of the country, but to reconnect with some important people in his life. And uh, he hoped to uh, regain some of his sense of, of optimism and, uh, and confidence and, and, and hope for the future. The result is an intriguing story told in, in, in an intriguing book called Vagabond Pilot, A Journey of Discovery and Renewal. And uh, the book is published by Red Sky Presents. And I'm very excited that uh, we can speak for the next few minutes with the author of this book, Robert J. Young. Mr. Young, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Good morning, uh, Greg, and good morning to all your listeners, and uh, uh, a happy and blessed Thanksgiving to everyone. Very good. So, uh, early in the book, you talk about uh, a, uh, a need for you to, in a sense, regain some of your own uh, joy and optimism and sense of confidence about yourself uh, and the future due to what I kind of cryptically refer- referred to as some reversals and, and, and disappointments in your life. Uh, give our listeners a, a brief sketch of largely what your life's arc had been until these reversals that, uh, that I touched on, which I'd like you to uh, explain in some detail to our listeners. Well, thank you first, Greg, for uh, having me. Uh, uh, it's nice to be with you and share this story. I think it uh, there's a message in all of it, or in it for all of us, uh, and it was especially a, uh, a learning, a great learning experience for me on this journey of life. Uh, I was a uh, very uh, I was raised in uh, on Long Island, outside New York City. My father was a very successful uh, a New York real estate lawyer, and uh, I lived a very blessed life full of abundance, went to the finest schools. Uh, I had it all. And uh, I was doing what they told us to do. Uh, I, I uh, moved to California, had a job, and family and all that good stuff, and uh, um, all of a sudden now I'm planning the last days, so to speak, in my dream home, the retirement, and the rug was pulled out from under me, and uh, it what took me uh, this trip to re- regain my sense of self and balance uh, and, and confidence again, and uh, I did that through the passion of my flying. Uh, along with some help from my friends. The, uh, at least a, a big part of the reversal that we're talking about actually had to do with uh, 
some misdeeds uh, by your brother, uh, also an attorney. And, uh, and I mean, you, you talk about this openly and freely in the book, so it's not like I'm asking you to divulge something you're not comfortable sharing. Uh, but I think it's helpful for our listeners to just have a, a little sense of what we are talking about and to what extent your carefully constructed life, in a sense, fell apart in the wake of this. Um, no, no worries. Uh, yes, I did share that because uh, uh, one of the reasons I started writing the book was uh, I've been told that I could write well. Uh, being a lawyer, you, all you do, you do a lot of writing, especially as a litigator, which I was and still am to some extent. And um, uh, I did so contemporaneously, and I felt that it, it was... In expressing myself, it was important to uh, deal with my truth, because this was my life now. So I put it down on paper, and uh, uh, when you tell the truth, it's a safe place to be. Um, my brother and uh, was always a very big figure in my life. He was the firstborn. I was the third child of a family of four, and my father... Uh, God bless him, uh, in my perspective, uh, uh, you know, the firstborn was the prince. And so I always had this sibling rivalry, this not good enough. Uh, I was a pretty good athlete, but he was like a superstar. And uh, I never seemed to, in my mind, uh, you know, as a child, that uh, – to do as much to be as to be loved by my father. So I always had this kind of uh, sibling rivalry shaping me. And it took me a long time moving away from the family, gaining my footing to come out to California and establish my own life and self and recognize my own strengths and, and contributions I could make to get away from that. Uh, my brother got into some trouble. And uh, he needed my help, and that was always my dream. I wanted to be a part of my father and brother and the law firm back east, and I felt kind of banished, I guess. And so I helped him. And then all of a sudden, uh, after my father died, uh, my brother died. Uh, and then a few months later, my mother died. And the entire family business, uh, which was some significant real estate holdings, which my brother was managing all the money, uh, was now my problem. And what I discovered was my brother uh, uh, took from all of us and many others, and uh, for whatever reasons, I still can't figure it out to this day, uh, avarice, whatever, human nature, and I was left dealing with awful lot of problems, and one of them rose up and uh, forced me into bankruptcy um, from a family-owned venture that I had sold, and then uh, in New York, there's what they call a clawback rule, where people who gain from the assets of a creditor can come after those who got those assets, so my sister and I were now all of a sudden uh, pursued by a gentleman who my brother... Uh, uh, how could I say, uh, took from as kindly as I could. Hmm. This is a, a moment in which you are also uh, feeling kind of vulnerable and uh, you've had uh, your 
your sense of, of utter confidence in yourself and your abilities and your health really <laughs> pierced, if not just utterly shattered. Um, in the wake of all of this, you find yourself moved to undertake something that, uh, you know, maybe at a glance would not necessarily make a whole lot of sense, but it made a great deal of sense to you, namely to journey across the country uh, flying a small plane. Uh, first of all, uh, ahead of talking about that, explain about your own background as, uh, as an amateur pilot. Uh, okay, you, you said that very well, uh, um, Greg. I, I, was, I was teetering and tottering. <laughs> uh, I was on the edge, having lost everything, and I was homeless. Uh, and flying has always been a refuge for me. It, uh, one of the things uh, I've always done is tried to pursue my passions, and flying was was the passion I had, other than uh, other than athletics and coaching kids in soccer, which I just always enjoyed. But flying just did it for me. When I would get in that plane, I was Captain Bob and. Uh, I was at a level of proficiency after 40 years of flying um, that I was a, a pretty good pilot. I was disciplined. Uh, I loved the uh, professionalism and the skills and the quest for that perfect landing, that perfect flight. Uh, it was just something about being in the left seat of a cockpit with all the bells and whistles and the dials that uh, enthralled me from ever time ever since I was a little toddler running into the cockpit of an Eastern Airlines uh, constellation when we would go to Florida. So I had that bug, and it was a safe place for me, uh, very comfortable. So I was faced with honestly living in my car, or man, I got to find a way out of this. I need to find myself again, and I recall that I did so when. Uh, in, back in law school, I decided to take a trip across country in, the, in, in my last summer of law school after I lost my first real love. Uh, um, I was dumped, <laughs> and uh, I didn't know what to do, so I got in the car and I drove, and this, this country just marveled me and nourished me, and I said, aha, uh, let's, let's get into the plane, see some friends, you know, maybe the last time, who knows? Who knows what the universe is doing, what mm. God is doing? You know, is this the end? Is this the beginning? And I've learned an awful lot about uh, life and myself. And uh, actually, I've never been happier now, uh, even though uh, I have so far much more less. Uh, and it's been an incredible experience. In the book, uh, I'm glad you, you used that word nourish because one of my favorite lines in the book is uh, when you said flying across America and seeing my friends and getting the love and nourishment I needed would be, uh, would be an answer. One of the things that is fun about the book is that you talk a great deal about the actual act of flying. You talk a lot about your plane and a lot about uh, what it takes in order to, uh, to fly safely. Uh, first of all, describe to our listeners the actual plane in which you made this journey 
uh, across America. That's a that that's a good point, and and I've had a bunch of interviews, and I've never really said this, so thank you for asking that. Picture everybody a small uh, MG or a Triumph or even a little me, Mazda Miata, a little two-seater aircraft and put on wings. That was my plane, about 40 feet long and wide and uh, from wingtip to wingtip, uh, only about six feet high or so, and two seats, 31 gallons of usable fuel, three hours of range, and it would cruise at about 130 knots, which is approximately 143 miles an hour, um, give or take with winds, of course. So it's a, it's a little plane. Right. Little. So I think it's an important point because uh, it's not the kind of plane one would immediately think of nor choose in order to fly across America. I mean, you are flying across the country and, in a sense, crisscrossing the continent in a plane that can only be flown maybe three hours at a time. So uh, th- that is part of what makes this so so noteworthy. Did it, in the moment, seem yeah, like you're a... Right, Paul. Greg, you're right, because it was designated as a training aircraft, not a cross-country machine. Right. That is so in, in the moment when you decided that you wanted to do it, did it seem like a strange thing to do or a risky thing to do? Or did it seem like something that you just simply had to do, despite whatever impracticalities or risks might be associated with it? Um, my reaction is both. Um, uh, yes, it, it was. My friends told me, it was, what are you doing? You're crazy. You know, you, you, where, where are you going? What are you running away for? All these different comments. Uh, they were scared for me. They knew I was not in the best emotional state, etc. Um, but it was a place where I always felt safe and comfortable, and I didn't. Th- I didn't really think much of that as a concern. Uh, to me. Uh, Although it's a long distance, uh, my, my, my time flying was limited to three hours or so before I started running out of gas in another half hour, um, which is about all you can really sit in a little plane before you have to go to the bathroom. Um, and to me, it was like I always did. It was just a series of trips that I would be making back to back to back. So I, I was not concerned that, about the safety issue at all. But for my uh, the new weather situations I would be encountering. Hmm. One of the interesting moments in the book comes at the opening of Chapter 3 when you look back a little earlier in your life and you talk about how uh, feeling uh, sad and even depressed after uh, uh, your divorce, you, you recount the experience the first time you flew in the wake of that and yeah. found yourself kind of uncontrollably crying and quickly landed the airport, uh, landed the airplane, and you say uh, you chose not to fly again until you were, in your words, long past the debilitating emotional pain to risk uh, my welfare and safety. It's a really interesting point, and so uh, I suspect that that crossed your mind at least a little bit. Am I in the emotional state to be able to 
undertake this journey safely. Yes, besides that making sure your equipment is, is in good shape, one of the key components is the pilot. Uh, is he uh, well uh, emotionally uh, capable? Is he well rested? Is he uh, not on any medications, etc.? It's one of the items that goes on the checklist. In fact, as in the introduction, as you're referring to, uh, before we get going, uh, I speak of that preparation uh, about the aircraft and, and the journey and myself, and was I ready to go? And as I said, Captain Bob is good to go. I felt I could handle, handle it. We're speaking with Robert J. Young about his book, Vagabond Pilot, A Journey of Discovery and Renewal. The book chronicles his experience of crisscrossing the country in a very small plane, only capable of three-hour flights at a time. But uh, even in this small plane, he manages to crisscross the country and in doing so, uh, reconnect with a number of different friends and see a number of really uh, interesting uh, places and, uh, and, and, and sites. Um, one of the things that is interesting about the book is that you give all kinds of details about the actual flying in, in terms of, uh, I mean, in terms, including technical details that probably for the typical reader would not you know, make a whole lot of sense or necessarily have a lot of resonance, including many chapters where, you know, you're li- listing it as leg nine of the journey, and then we're given all of this information on where you uh, took off from and where you landed and exactly the distance and uh, and, and this and that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's there, but I am curious to know why it's there, why you thought it was important to include a lot of this very technical information about your trip. I think someone else might tell largely the same story, but not include that kind of material. Why was it important to you to include that here? Uh, That's a very good question, and you're the first one who's asked me that. (laughs) Hmm. Um, It was a book about flying. It was a book about me. It was a book about being a pilot. Uh, I felt it important. I wanted to share uh, that all that a pilot does. Uh, it's 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 it may seem when you look at a pilot in an airliner that it's you know they got it all down, et cetera. But there's an awful lot going on. Uh, in fact, the bigger the plane is, the easier it is to fly because most of it is automated. But in my plane, as I share, I have no autopilot. I'm flying that plane constantly, and there's there's a lot of things going on. So I was trying to bring the reader into that left seat hmm. to experience what I was experienced, to, to experience the professionalism of the air traffic controllers, the interaction that we have with each other, the, 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 na- the system of navigation, and all these details that perhaps could give people uh, a little feeling of what it's like to be in that left seat and as a pilot. And um, then also I wanted, as you noticed, I also wanted to say, well, the pilot also has a life. So I wanted to share about my friends because that was as much a part of the journey as the flying to renew me uh, as well as in the discovery of that renewal through my the nourishment and love of my friends. Because I was 
I was shaken. I was beaten. I, I needed to find my way home, so to speak, and I did. Hmm. I, I appreciate that that this book is uh, encompasses, in a sense, both of those aspects of 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 your journey, of your uh, experience. One of my favorite parts of the book is when you go into some detail about what's known as the walk around, and this is obviously yeah. something really important to you, and should be important to anybody who is a amateur pilot and wants to fly safely, and. Uh, I think most of us have at least the vaguest notion of what a walk around is before one takes off in an airplane. But I don't think most of us have any notion of just how careful and meticulous a good walk around is and certainly not anything that should be rushed. So when you would engage in a walk around uh, with your uh, two niner Lima, uh, just give our listeners a vague sense of what's involved in that. Well, that's a very astute observation, Greg, and I appreciate uh, uh, the detail of the questions, truly. Um, uh, we, we, you can't just get into a plane like you get into a car. Um, I think the analogy is how you could get into the car and just go and drive, and then 30 minutes or later you go, wow, I've been driving all this time. You know, it's like that freeway monotony or whatever. But in a plane... Uh, before every flight, you have to check. Uh, you're not going to be able to pull the plane over to the side of the road if something goes wrong. So you have to check to see if everything is there and all the things are attached. There's nothing loose. There's nothing hanging. There's, you know, the, the gas is in the tanks. And I learned an early lesson from my instructor. And, and, and part of the flying is the discipline of it. Uh, and making sure not rushing around the airplane. I was so excited to, you know, keep learning how to fly. I had this, I was learning in a little Cessna 150, a similar two-seater, uh, but a high wing at the time. And uh, my instructor said, you didn't finish your, rush or your, your walk around. What are you doing? He said, get back there and don't ever rush around an airplane because you'll kill yourself. So, and he was an older gentleman. And, and uh, stern when he had to be. So I got the message and that rushing around an aircraft spells doom. So it, it imposed a lot of discipline on me to always do that walk around and no shortcuts, take my time, check every point uh, that you go around, the wing, the, the cowling and the other wing, and check the gas, check, check everything, and make sure you're good to go. Hmm. One thing that was uh, an interesting encounter with you was, uh, and you, you, you share this, uh, was uh, one of the people you re reconnected with, uh, somebody um, by the name of Jordan. Uh, and you, you talk about uh, uh, an experience or encounter you had with him in which you helped him uh, improve as a pilot and uh, in particular helped him more safely land. I really love this exchange because I think it kind of helps us understand some of the nuances that are involved in safely flying. Yes, Jordan now, I, I, uh, Jordan now is a first officer for JetBlue. And he, at the time, he was in Phoenix being trained. He had just started. He had been a balloonist for years. 
but I had talked. He, he was the boyfriend of my uh, girlfriend's sister's girlfriend's niece's niece. I think I got it right. And uh, he decided he was going to be a pilot. And JetBlue hired him, put him into Arizona and trained him. And it was an opportunity for me to share some of the little techniques that I picked up about uh, landing. And, and uh, uh, anyway, I, I, it's been a kick because uh, Greg Jordan just called me the other day, in fact. And he's, he's on their reserve list and he's been flying all over and, He's sharing me with now landing these A320 Airbus buses, and I'm just so proud and happy for him because, as I also shared, he's living my dream, how I wanted to do that, but bad vision prevented me mm. when I was graduating college to do so. Right. <laughs> what, what you- and he taught me how to use ForeFlight, which all of a sudden I didn't have to use. Uh, I used that app instead of a, a ruler and a pencil like I always did in trying in planning my flight plans. Hmm. One of your points of advice for him that I would love to have you just expand on a little bit is you say, when flying solo or with an instructor, always talk out loud, whether it be reading the checklist, making a turn to a certain heading, or changing a frequency. It was another small thing I felt that had made me a better pilot. Explain the value of talking out loud uh, while one is flying an airplane. That, that, that's an interesting point because when you're alone, and one of the things that flying does, uh, we have checklists and, and you learn to uh, follow uh, patterns and checklists. And, and, and I, I was taught uh, that my instructor wanted to hear what I was thinking and doing. And he, 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 this Mr. Beecher uh, was pretty good about how he taught me. He wanted to know what I was thinking. And so say it out loud so you hear it too. Was his, you hear what you're doing and you, you know, so that you're on top of it. And that's kind of what he was trying to teach me was my own way as a single pilot to have cockpit resource management. Uh, co-pilot, you could do that. You share duties, et cetera, et cetera. But when you're flying alone, you only have yourself. And so I developed the habit for my instructor of of doing that to remind me what I'm doing. And it acts as confirmation for the uh, uh, maneuver um, to make sure you know you're doing the right thing at the right time. Fascinating. We're speaking with Robert J. Young, and we're talking about his book called Vagabond Pilot, A Journey of Discovery and Renewal. Uh, in the book, he chronicles the experience of crisscrossing uh, the continental United States uh, in, in an effort to uh, sort of rekindle uh, his own sense of optimism and confidence in the wake of some really painful personal and professional reversals, which ultimately led him to have to uh, declare bankruptcy. And uh, on this journey, he encounters a number of important people in his life, good friends, and also encounters some really interesting strangers. Uh, And that's one of the things that I really appreciate about the book, is that this is not only us sort of 
uh, eavesdropping on your reunions with various friends, uh, interesting though that might be, but it's also really interesting to hear about some of the strangers that you encounter. I think one that would be really interesting uh, for us to have you uh, talk about a little bit is when you encounter a, a very friendly uh, guy by the name of, of um, Bert. Bert, who I think is somebody you meet when you are landing in uh, uh, somewhere in New Mexico, and you in New Mexico, yes. And you meet yes. this uh, this guy named Bert, who's uh, exceptionally friendly, exceptionally nice. Uh, but things go in kind of an interesting direction the longer you talk with Bert. Uh, would you mind uh, sharing a little bit about this encounter? Yes, that was. Uh, 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 that was a very interesting moment. It was the uh, first time now I was leaving. Uh, I, I was coming from, uh, let's see, Arizona to going to Roswell, Mexico. I was in search of the aliens, and I had a fuel stop in Deming, New Mexico. Deming, New Mexico, out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, this gentleman pulls up. He asked me, do you want fuel? Yes, thank you. And he walks. I walk in to little building where uh, the offices were and after i cleaned up and went to the bathroom he comes out he says help yourself to a sandwich and all oh, he's as kind as can be he gives me the sandwich i want because i don't eat ham he gives me tuna fish and he's so nice and this is a stranger so it's really kind of stunning to me because having been a litigator for so long i was I see the worst of people and, and the greed and the lying and the cheating. And I was getting very misanthropic and, you know, I didn't, I didn't, it was like that cat meme, you know, people, you know, no, stay away. And all of a sudden now I'm meeting and I, I, I'm having this wonderful engagement with this loving stranger until he starts talking about what's blaring on the TV about Fox News. I happened to land in Deming where they had, were processing at the time uh, illegal immigrants in three big hangars across the field, and uh, I'm, I'm I was uh, come from an immigrant family, and uh, I'm lean to the left and uh, believe all the stuff uh, I was raised on of the people, by the people, for the people. Uh, you know, all men are created equal. All that good stuff that we. Uh, talk about, but don't sometimes walk our talk. And and uh, um, Bert, his real name was Robert, Bert for short, uh, uh, he had his opinions. And yet, what was interesting to me at the moment when we were exchanging it and I was bringing this out with him was, well, he had his bad, you know, he was a fellow citizen who had his opinions. And I had no tea or, and that was one of the, or, or rancor. There was nothing. It was just an exchange, which was really healthy. And okay, the guy's a loving soul. Look at how nice he took to, care to me. I don't, I, there's no hatred or anything like that. And so when part of the thing that I discovered in, in meeting all these wonderful people who were strangers, who were totally loving and, and supportive and interested in, in my journey, when I would land and talk and get fuel was, you know, uh, what I see on TV is not the way it is in America. And, and so uh, uh, it was it was a real eye opening. 
uh, about the the country and the people and just what a great place this is and you know our come from needs to come from abundance and not our scarcity and uh, we're doing it. We're doing hmm. it. It's interesting because we'll get it down. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting is that um, your your book certainly uh, is in so many ways uh, one of optimism, and your experience, of course, in making this trip is is largely a, an incredibly positive one. But there are moments in the trip when, uh, in a sense, you you experience other things. And and one of the most intriguing comes in the wake of something that you were so excited about, namely uh, to see the Johnson Space Center and NASA, which had been a boyhood dream of yours. Uh, explain, first of all, what you saw there, uh, and then the somewhat surprising reaction that you had, or some of the, let's say, mixed emotions that you were left with yeah. in the wake of seeing that. Now, thank you for bringing that up, because that was something very important to me. Uh, or that was a moment of reflection, for sure. I was so excited to go to the Johnson Space Center. All my life, I was uh, being a flying junkie. I loved anything that flew, including spacecraft. I I was weaned on the Mercury program, the astronauts, and uh, I would listen and uh and watch every space flight, bring my transistor radio to school to listen to the launches when the space uh, uh, business uh, first started. So to go to see this museum in tribute to all that the United States had accomplished was it was really a dream come true. It was like a little boy in a candy store. And I saw all these amazing accomplishments that we've done from the moon landings to the space shuttle, and there was a... Ma- uh, an actual space shuttle uh, 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 at the museum that I toured, uh, and and it was just wow! What what a look at what we have accomplished! Look at what we have done! And then uh, uh, these those days, and that was three years ago. The rancor and the, the noise, the chatter was so bad when I would turn on the TV that I just couldn't understand how America had lost its way. Uh, that we, we we don't have any goals. We 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 seem so angry with one another, and I, I just it was very it was sad. It was, it was a, I re, I remember sitting in the, I can as I'm talking to you, sharing the story, sitting in the cafeteria about it, shaken by it. It was like so disconcerting that what's going on? What is? It? Look at all the greatness around me, and what's happening outside? It, it was a real disconnect. And so I hope uh, we'll get through uh, our fog and, and realize we're all in this together. And, uh, you know, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. You know, that was kind of the idea. And, and when it works, it's brilliant, hmm. as, was, as I bore witness in that museum. Hmm. Uh, another memorable encounter that you have is uh, one that is so very, very appropriate— uh, it involved uh, connecting with the uh, very, very first plane flight of them all, which, of course, was done by the Wright brothers. Uh, explain what this meant to you to uh, actually uh, come to that very spot where that historic first 
uh, airplane flight had occurred with Orville and Wilbur White. Thank you, Greg. That, that the, the National Park Service has established a site honoring the Wright brothers at the very first place they uh, uh, flew a powered aircraft, and that was at Kill Devil's Hill in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. And I stopped there on my way from uh, Wilmington to my sister, to see my sister in Virginia Beach, where I was going to Norfolk. And it was, to me, hallowed ground. Uh, and uh, seeing the tribute of the, the, the uh, uh, obelisk in tribute to the Wright brothers, and having read every flying and uh, aviation historical uh, book about them, and uh, it was just wonderful. I wish everybody could see it, because it says one word on, on the obelisk that represented what they did, genius. Hmm. And uh, indeed they were. And they were so methodical, as people know, they were so methodical in this new science they were creating. Uh, it was just, it was just a, a real highlight for me to pay tribute to uh, these gentlemen. And when you think about it, uh, I think it's 1903, and here it is 119 years later, and we're getting ready to think about landing on Mars. Well, that's that's pretty amazing. Hmm. And just as I thought that, just as I say in my book, when I was thinking that, I was looking at the early tracks. They had little rail tracks that they had the the right flyer go down on, uh, like a little runway for them. And I was looking at it, and two jets came flying over from the north, from the uh, uh, some military base. And it was that's exactly what I thought at that time. Wow. It's, We've come a long way, baby. Hmm. One last uh, stop that I want to ask you about uh, briefly is when you uh, journey to the small community of Roswell that is, of course, famous for being uh, supposedly the place where uh, an alien spacecraft crashed and and perhaps where uh, you know certain government officials are covering up uh, evidence of, of actual extraterrestrial aliens actually walking upon the face of the earth. Uh, it's it's an intriguing place, the subject of much speculation, of course. A, a lot of exciting fiction has been spun from the legacy of, of Roswell. And you actually uh, walk the streets of, of this uh, community. Just explain to our listeners uh, what you encountered there. Roswell is, should be a must for everybody it was it's really a wonderful town they don't overdo the uh, alien uh, motif too too badly just right um and uh um as a law i was looking at the museum i spent the, the the whole afternoon of almost four hours there uh really reading every affidavit and story and trying to see, well, is this true or not? And um, because uh, when I was growing up, you know, it was uh, all the flying saucer movies and all that stuff. And, and I have to conclude, uh, Greg, that um, based upon the circumstantial evidence, it was overwhelming that the event did, in fact, happen. 
uh, as as was sworn to by people who were percipient uh, witnesses uh, to uh, to that event. So, um, you know, uh, and the news was reported truthfully, and then the cover-up began, and here we are many moons later. Right. Uh, wondering, and... Um, and, 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 you know, and, and having been a, a voracious reader about all this and the impact of this telling the truth versus not, I guess, would be pretty overwhelming to, to many uh, earthlings. But uh, I, I actually believe that from what I, I witnessed, the, the event did happen. Hmm. I want to finish by giving you a chance to talk about one of the personal encounters that you had as you reconnected with various friends across the country, and we would leave it to our listeners to explore that aspect of your book on their own, but uh, I want to give you a chance to talk about what it was like for you to reconnect with uh, someone who had been uh, a soccer teammate of yours many, many, many years earlier, someone named Andre, a uh, a brilliantly talented athlete and someone uh, with whom you you shared uh, great success on the soccer field. Uh, but reconnecting with him was a very powerful and illuminating uh, experience for you. Uh, explain uh, a little bit about why this particular encounter uh, was so profound for you. Thank you, Greg. That That's that really was very powerful experience for me. Andre was two years my junior, my junior. He was a sophomore when I was a senior. And I was trained by when I was a sophomore, seniors about being a leader and, and embracing the younger kids. Remember, we were 17 and 15 at this time. We weren't that evolved. Uh, Andre was a person of color. His family was from Egypt. And uh, he was a terrifically talented soccer player and uh, went on far to exceed my uh, accolades. He became a star uh, in high school and college. But uh, he got drafted out of college. And he told me a story where they just took him out of college and he was put on a bus. And the next thing he knows, he was inducted. And a few months later, he's defusing bombs in Vietnam. And, and it was hard for me to believe until I spent more time with him. And he shared with me more stories about what it's like to be a person of color in America. And uh, it, it said a lot. And uh, I just was really moved by his stories. Now, I, re- I didn't know him very well in high school. I just met him really on Facebook. We became very close. And all of a sudden there, he said, please stop by on my trip. And, and I did. And I learned about uh, him and his, uh, his wife, who is Caucasian, and their uh, difficulties and what they encountered as an interracial couple. And... Uh, uh, it was uh, it was an eye opening and, 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 and very informative. Hmm. Uh, but you know, people are people. Doesn't matter, green, yellow, purple. <laughs> We're all the same. We all want the same things, you know. And I uh, uh, hope I uh, hope someday we really will truly be colorblind. It's hmm. uh, an insidious disease, and Andre really uh, 
his love and friendship really uh, helped made me much more aware of of, of that. Hmm. In our last minute or so, I, I want to give you a chance to just uh, summarize what you feel like the the ultimate benefit of this cross-country uh, journey uh, was for you, and if uh, and if this trip ultimately gave you all that you were hoping it would give you. Um, it did. It did. I, I didn't. I didn't know what to expect, but it certainly did rejuvenate me. Uh, I discovered so much about country and myself, and I was truly renewed because if I could fly this little plane across America and back, and through weather issues and other encounters I had, well, I can do anything, and that brought me back my personal confidence. For sure. Uh, I also saw, and I wish so many could see the country the way I could see it, uh, and the expanse, and how it grew, and, and, and experience all the love that is out there. That, that was truly nourishing, as we talked about that word before. Um, and, and the biggest thing I re- that I could say to everyone is, you know, life is not easy. It's not even fair at times, um, but I will remind everyone and pass on what my father always would teach me when things got rocky. He said he had this little vignette where he said, just keep getting to tomorrow. Things will be different. Things will change. Something will happen. In fact, the judge could die. I said, Dad, what do you mean about the judge could die? He said, well, I was a young lawyer. I had this case, and... Uh, uh, he was killing me, and I kept stalling, and then one day I got a call, the judge died. And wouldn't you know it, I got a, a new judge. He, I, he was a law school professor, and uh, bingo, I won the case. So my son, don't give up. Just keep getting tomorrow. The judge could die. On that note, we uh, leave it to our listeners to uh, seek out their bo- your book if they are intrigued. Uh, the book, again, is titled Vagabond Pilot, A Journey of Discovery and Renewal, and it comes from Red Sky Presents and the author Robert J. Young. Robert J. Young, thank you so much for joining me today on The Morning Show. It was great to talk with you and to explore a bit further your very interesting book. Best wishes to you, and happy flying. Thank you so much, and a happy Thanksgiving. All the best. Bye-bye.